Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Wadi Wachtel. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, with the show so you want to be a rock and roll star then listen now to what i say just get an electric guitar and take some time and learn how to play diggers welcome to another edition of deeper digs with me christian swain doing some more rock and roll archaeology for all of you let's get the uh, business stuff out of the way and get to our conversation with jared burrell and alex emmanuel of the new film, The Incoherence. First, on Rock and Roll Archaeology, episode 19, I'll give you an update. Things are moving very quickly now, just a week or so before it will be released. Yeah, maybe two weeks. We sincerely appreciate all the extra patient you guys have had on this one. I know it's going to be, it's like eight months. I, I get it. All right, I get it, I get it. Yeah, really, really long but, uh, you know, the episode itself is really, really long. Um, I know we left you all on a cliffhanger with episode 18, and you want to see how it ends. Uh, as you know, the second half of 1969 will focus on two big events that we uh, obviously could not pass up, even if we wanted to. Uh, there is Woodstock and there is Altamont. That is the bulk of the episode. Uh, our take, um, our compare and contrast between these two major milestones in rock and roll history is uh, a big, big portion of what this uh, is about. You know, we also bring our friends, the Rolling Stones, back in. Uh, how could we not with Altamont? Uh, and we are going to expand on the moon landing piece uh, that you found in episode 18 to show how the music is really starting to go global. Yeah, we are also tipping our hats towards the upcoming decade. You know, like uh, most of the revolutionaries on the streets in the 1960s, you know, we are tiring of the struggle and um, are looking forward to getting into the 1970s, uh, where the music in, is perhaps more evolutionary, uh, introspective in some circles, uh, or <laughs> spectacle in others. It's going to be um, different uh, and different storytelling. I, I'll, I'll let you guys know that uh, uh, Richard and I have been uh, talking a lot about how we take volume two 
um, you know, the story of rock and roll is like this big giant funnel that just gets wider and wider uh, in in the mouth uh, as as you go along. You know, and uh, I think I've said before that uh, you know the the 1950s were were easy to focus on individuals because it was a small group of people. You know, the 1960s uh, kind of grew to the point where. You know, once we got to the Beatles, we, we started to have to think geographically. So we kind of focused on London, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Detroit, um, Memphis, uh, little Nashville, things like that. We, 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 we went geographic to basically tell the, the, the story as best we could and include, you know, the, the usual uh, commentary, social commentary uh, and, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, the social commentary. As the story has changed, you know, our story needs to organically change as well. It's just the facts. Um, we're we're going to miss some things. Um, people are going to scream and yell. Um, but I think we're going to choose the cream of the crop uh, and uh, take some side trips. We will uh, introduce uh, some unsung heroes. Uh, and, um, you know, again, looking back now, uh, 20 plus years, um, you can begin to figure out and weed out, um, you know, uh, the chaff, the chaff, if you will, uh, and uh, are left with uh, with the cream. And that's what that's what we'll we'll end up having to do. Um, all right. So keep your ears open for episode 19, 1969, part two It's coming very soon. I never know exactly when because it's done when it's done. And as soon as it's done, we try to put it out there. Uh, let's see. We have a new show, uh, that is launching this week. We are super excited to bring, uh, on this guy to the Pantheon network. The show is called Reverend Billy Radio. Reverend Billy is the pastor of the Church of Stop Shopping in New York City. Although his church has tens of thousands of members, uh, Billy is a preacher with an unknown God. He's not a Christian, but wears a priest's collar and uh, televangelist's hair, for that matter. His followers uh, shout uh, Earth Illusia and uh, Change Illusia. Uh, hallelujah, Change Illusia. Earthalooya, there you go, uh, on the sidewalks. Uh, he started the show while locked down in New York City uh, with death raining down on the skyscrapers. He likes to stop preaching suddenly and play music. Uh, in his show, The Fiery Eagles of Justice, a jazz trio um, that is rather hard to fathom, and, of course, the Stop Shopping Choir, a 35-voice chorus of trespassing activists help the Reverend slide into his next sermonette. So please check out Reverend Billy Radio. Thanks for all our uh, Patreon members. We surely need the help hosting all of these shows. The costs keep going up. Uh, even this small pledge helps us to cover the bills. The reason the costs keep going up is because more and more people are listening. So, and that's a good problem to have. So, but we could use your help. If you're interested and want to become a Pantheon patron yourself and score the best seats in the house to all of our podcasts, go to Patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast. Of course, there's always the adamandeve.com option uh, if you want to help that way. D-I-G-S is the code at checkout for a lot of free stuff. Please go check out adamandeve.com for all your sexy needs. 
Okay. Grab some popcorn and let's go to the movies. Here comes the bitter. Another creeping winter. Surrounds the buildings of you. The trudge through the luck. The smell of a garbage truck. Wafting up chap nose This week, we are joined by Jared Burrell, who directed the fun new rock and roll movie, The Incoherence, available now on Video On Demand. Uh, And uh, also with Jared is one of the stars of the film, who happens to also be the musical director and writer of uh, most of the original music going on in it, Alex Emanuel. So the film, The Incoherence, is a a rock and roll fantasy of sorts. Four 40-somethings, each going through a midlife malaise, decide uh, what they need to do is revive their 90s alt-rock band, The Incoherence, and prove you are never too late for a comeback. The Incoherence band is played by Alex as the genius guitarist Jimmy, Walter Hoffman as bassist Keith, Casey Clark as drummer Tyler and lead actor, as well as the writer of the film, uh, Jeff Auer, playing lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist Bruce. Rounding out the cast are appearances by Kate Arrington, Annette O'Toole, Amy Carlson, and Margaret Ann Florence. First, if you like your 90s alt-rock in the form of, uh, say, Pearl Jam, Candlebox, or Dinosaur Jr., you'll dig the tones. Uh, the vibe there is authentic, and while none of the songs are, eh, they're, gonna, they're not going to fly up the charts, they serve the film well and are the foundation in, in taking this act serious. Of course, the idea of putting the band back together is always a fun trope in rock and roll fantasies and provides the structure of the piece. And if this is going to succeed to their wildest imaginations or maybe fall flat on its face is the fun of the pick. Spoiler alert, there's a twist that I think concludes uh, with a very satisfying ending. Hey, is it weighty or serious? Ah, Other than the travails of midlife and the questioning of one's path while adulting? Ah, Of course not. It's easy viewing with some fun archetypes we all know and love from our own lives. You will recognize them, well, as long as you're over 35. Um, I'll be honest, I I didn't have high hopes from the trailer. Uh, But in the end, I I found the film just what the doctor ordered in our concertless world of COVID-19. It may be the only rock and roll to be had at present. All right, let's give you the trailer uh, and then uh, get into the interview. Afterwards, I think, uh, like me, uh, you'll find find it on your uh, movie night playlist. All right, let's meet Jared Burrell and Alex Emanuel from the new film, The Incoherence. I need you to strap it on tonight. Could be a long one. I am here, Bruce. How long has it been? I cannot do it anymore. 
You're down there every night. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> I told you you'd be the first person I'd call when I was ready. If you're messing with me, I will take my drumstick, shove it through your eye, and into your brain. And Tyler said you think about it every day. Of course I think about it every day. No one's thought about us since 1995. We're really gonna let a bunch of dweebs from Brooklyn with skinny jeans and cute little beards and all the glory? It's time for rock and roll made by men. Middle-aged men. You working with those jokers down there? Sure am. Jerry Evans is a promoter for Governor Ball. Go play a show in Bushwick on a Monday night for four people. Start from there. You're playing the wrong song. This is gonna be an uphill battle. Is that like a refresher course we can take on how to do this again? Tonight, for the first time in many, many years, we played one hell of a rock and roll show! Bruce! If the road is where you want to be, maybe you should stay there. Singer and guitar player at odds, that's never happened before. We are walking out of Maxwell's on the bill of Governor's Ball. Everybody who's anybody is going to play there, and we might too. What is wrong with you men? Always thinking you need to leave a mark. This is your spot. Enjoy it. You need to leave got balls. Brass ones. Monster sack. Welcome to Deeper Digs, Jared Burrell and Alex Emanuel. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing well. Thanks for having us. We're great, man. Thanks for having us. Uh, so nice to have, uh, well, both the director uh, and uh, who does play a minor figure in the, in the movie, we'll talk about, and uh, the star, uh, co-star, co-star, along with the musical director who you know, uh, wrote uh, the songs along with uh, with uh, the star and writer of the of the the film, Jeff Auer, who's not with us. Today. Right, right. And Jared and I are both producers of the film as well, yeah, along with Jeff producers. and Jared's brother Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an indie film, so it appears. Looking at the credits, there are a lot of hats that are being passed around uh, on this yeah. project, right? So, so let's start with that. You know, um, and, you know, I guess the. the how did you guys come up with this? How long did it take to get it, uh, you know, from page to screen? Well, Alex started on the project be years before I even did. So, Alex, if you want to talk about the, the early sure. beginnings of it. I'll talk about the, just the, 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 the absolute beginnings of it. Uh, Jeff and I did an independent feature. I both acted in an independent feature in 1998. And it was uh, right before I moved to Chicago to kind of escape uh, the rock and roll world of uh, um, the East Village. I had, had been in a band that had a major label deal fall through. And, mm. uh, and I was just like, I'm out of here. I, I, I went to work with uh, Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. Ah, well done. Rock and roll theater. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I came back after two years because Chicago, though I did a lot of acting there, wasn't quite for me. Um, and I ran into Jeff on the street. Um, and he uh, said that he had uh, written this script and he knew that, you know, we had kept in touch and he knew that I played in bands and uh, he had written this character, Jimmy, for me. And, um, and I read it and I was instantly intrigued buy it because it was sort of my life mm. and um so i uh, um i kept up with jeff for a, a number of years we did a, a, a few readings we uh with the uh, various cast members uh we tried we tried to get some producer interest and so forth 
flash forward, I mean, really from that was like early 2000s. Right. Now, during that time in 2004, I met Jared. Um, I did a uh, his uh, senior thesis uh, short um, for uh, uh, School of Visual Arts. Um, and I acted in it and I thought he was a super talented, uh, guy and, and we became friends and we ended up, uh, um, I ended up acting in a, a, a bunch of his things, uh, including, uh, playing a, a, a tough nosed detective in one of his, uh, noirish comic books. And, um, in 2012, uh, Jeff and I were like, I mean, really, we're talking 2012. So I had known Jared for eight years. I had known Jeff for 14 years. He, Jeff and I had kind of come together on the script and had our first reading of it, I think, in 2006. And then in 2012, we were like, we really got to do something about this. You know, I really, you know, put our, our pedal to the metal and, and make something happen with this. And... And we were trying to, I was trying with Jared, with Jeff, sorry, Jeff and I were trying to think of uh, someone to help us make this, make like a short, a teaser. And uh, really the first person that came to mind was Jared, because I I thought he was a talented young director who I knew he had played in bands growing up as I, as I had played in bands. And, and I felt like he, uh, would be the perfect person to, 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 to work on this short with us. And he somewhat reluctantly, I believe, agreed at first, only because he was so used to doing his own stuff. Uh, but we did this short for like 300 bucks. It came out well. And, uh, and then Jared got the script and Jared, take it away. Yeah. Well, no, I, uh, Alex had asked me to come do it. And um, was it reluctantly? I don't remember if I was reluctant. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure, I'm, I, I'm, it's, it's in me to be reluctant. So I'm, so I'm sure that it was there. Um, but, uh, but I definitely, I had, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I have asked Alex to be in so much of my stuff. I have to pay this guy back and, and direct this thing. It was thing. sort of like you owe me a favor type of a thing. That's, that's kind of what it felt all right, like. All right, all right, I'll read the script. I'll read the script. <laughs> well, so I didn't even get the script. This was just the, the short film. So... Mm-hmm. This was only like a, a few page scene. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we shot the thing at my parents' garage um, because like I had pieces of drum sets and amps oh, and all these I things. I think I've the seen bands. this. I've seen this uh, because it's the scene that actually in the movie takes place in the bar. Yes. The artifacts this is the, a well-researched interview. Yes. yes, it is. There's, yeah. there's, there's, a good, there's a good line uh, from this about uh, – uh, it's time for uh, for rock for roll men. made by men. Made by men, and 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 Alex, you give please give us the line back. Uh, middle-aged men, <laughs> right. which which actually in in the uh, the short, uh, which we're you know we're not quite. Well, we were you know uh, almost ten years younger or something like that at that point. It was originally about a bunch of guys pushing forty, and it ended up being a bunch of <laughs> Poor guy pu- pushing fifty, but yeah, some of the original. Well, this lines, is a twenty-year in development project, so yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I, me- I remember J- Jeff actually thinking maybe that wasn't good, and I was thinking, Are "You kidding? It's even better." 
Yeah. But uh, we were, uh, yeah, some of the other lines that were in that shorter in it, mm -hmm. a line about a corn dogs and, yeah. uh, um, and the whole tape cassette thing, which is something that I kept pushing, uh, ends up in the film. At the um, end, yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, Jared? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, the, this little short, like, it, it had no business being as good as it was. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, genuinely funny. And, um, you know, the two other, well, actually, Jeff included um, all three of them. I didn't, I didn't know them. Uh, and the guys in the short are the same guys playing the band members in the feature. Right. But, like, there was just an undeniable chemistry between everybody. It was mm -hmm. just, I mean... We, we shot so like free form when we drew in that short, like it, there were like, there were multiple edits because there were just so many options of things to do. And there was just a lot of like character coming out and it was really funny. And I had sort of like done the short and was like, okay, cool. Another project done. Great. And I had moved on and I was thinking about some other projects and I was, you know, uh, constantly hustling to get maybe a dozen different films going. And um, I remember flying out to Santa Monica to AFM to, you know, try and sell or raise money or do something for, for another project. And I was sitting there, I was like, this is kind of silly. That Incoherence project was pretty cool. And I think I had shown it to some people like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I hit up Jeff while I was out here and I said, can you send me that script? And I read it by the time I was at the end, I was like, yeah, I want to make this movie. So I hit up Jeff and Alex and, and that's, uh, you know, the rest is uh, a lot of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, we'll get and into some of that tweaks to the script like one odd fact is that in this original short uh which uh, lives out there somewhere in in the internet land right. um uh, the character my character is like an ad exec or, or like a graphic artist or something like that and he's uh, and, oh. and i'm wearing like a suit and i'm wearing like a tie mm -hmm. and i remember thinking eh, that's not that's not right that just doesn't seem right he should be a bartender you know and um, in I'm the glad, end, he's a bartender. <laughs> I'm glad we changed that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the graphic designer becomes the wife. Right. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So that, that was going to be my next question is, is how much did the script change from its in original inception since now we know it started, uh, you know, 20 years ago? Uh, you know, were, were you hearkening back to the 80s at that point as opposed because this, this has a real sort of 90s um, indie rock band feel to it? No, no, the script, I mean, it, you know, besides uh, tweaks made along the way from its original inception, from me reading it, and I, you know, I don't know what the, I, 2005, 4, 1, I don't know. Um, uh, the basic bones of it were, were there. Um, I, I mean, there was, there were certain things that, that, that stayed with it the whole time, the cassette thing and the, and, and, and everything, but, uh, but uh, Jared really worked hard along with Jeff from 2013 until 2017 uh, to, to tweak it. And, you know, and I would read uh, newer drafts and think, oh, this is cool. Oh, we, this is, we were really kind of like, you know, uh, but, but in terms of the time uh, re reference, in terms of like the music, yeah. it was always supposed to be that time because that, that's, that's the time that Jer Jeff and I, kind of uh you know the early mid 90s we kind of uh uh came to came you know uh we, we we were really into 
into, I was playing in bands and Jeff was listening to them and we liked the same sort of stuff. And, and Jared liked the, kind of like a lot of uh, sort of later uh, 90s stuff, which I liked as well. And, uh, but it was always supposed to be that sort of Nirvana era. Right, right, right. Uh, and uh, did you guys start writing the songs early on or did those come a little bit later? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. I think, um, is, there, is there 12 original songs uh, in the, in the film? That, there's there's seven original incoherent songs. Um, seven, okay. Two yeah, from there's... Sex and High Def and yep. a handful of others that uh, Alex's other bands and my other bands and stuff and all, all hodgepodge in there. But, but the, the, there's, uh, there's nine original ones total. Yeah. yeah, and, and you, can, you can definitely hear that. It's all very 90s sound. Yeah. It's a little, I hear some Pixies, uh, you know, maybe a little bit earlier, which one of the, the, the godfathers of the 90s indie rock scene. Yeah, well, certainly. We've, we've heard Nirvana Replacements and, and replacements. we've heard Sonic Youth and Pavement yeah. and all these, yeah. which is great because these are the bands that I, some of them I know and some mm -hmm. of them I played with and some of them I was I was fans with but yeah so uh, Jeff and I actually demoed 25 songs for the film um yeah. I, I'd never been a home recording guy mm -hmm. um I had a four track that I used you know to do like basic you know uh guitar ideas and yeah, yeah. Scratch, scratch, scratches yeah but uh um it was probably it was 2015 when we were really starting to ramp up on this thing and we were talking, we, we were, we were going to do talking about doing like a, a fundraising party and everything. I had always said, I'm going to write the music for the band. I'm going to write the music for the band. So I was like, Oh, uh, I better, you know, I, I better do this. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> nice putting I, some pressure uh, on yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I learned, I learned. Well, we uh, also put uh, pressure on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I just got into it and I learned how to, uh, you know, how to record at home. I, since this pandemic, I've recorded like five songs and I've, uh -huh. you know, since the film, I've recorded like 15 songs, many of them waiting for lyrics from Jeff. Um, but uh, it, it was really, uh, it was just like a learning experience. I knew I can only, I don't want to say I can only do it, but I particular, I kind of write in a certain style, which is like what I wrote in bands uh, with in bands and then from the 90s mm -hmm. and uh they just started coming out I, I i'd come up with a song and then i'd be like jeff i'm i'm you know i i'm imagining this is sort of like this you know this song is kind of a gritty disc can you can you get me some lyrics and he'd send me like a tone poem you know without even listening to the song and then i'd arrange the lyrics in the song and send him a demo back with me singing this stuff and they they all fit in and i was like damn where the hell you been in my whole life man you're my you're the jagger to my richards oh the glimmer tins twins reborn uh or simmer the, twins as in, the, yeah. as in the film yeah but uh yeah so that that's it actually one of the one of the first demos that we uh we made i think maybe number three is when we felt like we'd hit our stride and that was this song cosmopolitan sheen which is sort of the which is the the, how would you put that, Jared, in regards to the film in terms of, of a song? I mean, that's sort of, I think, the incoherence, that thing you do. Um, I oh. think that's like sort of like the, the lead, their lead single, in a, in a sense. And I'll be honest, I mean, I remember um, that early, early, early demo, you know, you said it was like the third one. That was like the one song that even when I heard it then, I was like, so that's in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, know, and, 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 that, and it, that was the one that just it's it's got a hook it's it like that's the one i feel like you you sort of leave watching the film and that one's in your head yeah, yeah uh, it's yeah, got a cool Jeff, vibe to Jeff it it's got a great hook yeah. yeah um yeah and lyrically i think it was also sort of on point to with exactly. a lot of the feelings of the film and whatnot and to jeff's credit um it's interesting hearing you talk about you guys writing the music and stuff together because i wasn't that's, that's something i wasn't there for there was something i was either like you know just getting sort of like the results of it or sort of tertiary in conversation about it but um but to jeff's credit it was interesting how you were talking about how the lyrics so well lined up with the music because i was always curious about that to a certain degree because um getting you know i listened to the songs a million times but in prepping the release of the film getting the lyrics from all of these songs and actually finally for sitting down and like really reading through all of these because some of the songs are in it for like a I minute mean, i don't see you know i don't get so much access to all the lyrics and i can't you know like every other song you can't hear everything but you're like man he is right he's writing his heart out with these lyrics there's a lot of stuff in there. there's a lot of depth there's also like um I think there's a lot of, uh, especially in rock and roll, there's, it's a very easy to be lazy and say, and first verse and second verse is copy and pasted and we're good, which may or may not be the case with the sex and high depth stuff. Um, but, you know, he's got, there's so much storytelling in those lyrics. And I think that was also a really great reflection of, you know, making songs for a film is like each one of these songs was its own little story. So it's interesting yeah, to hear how they like mesh so well with the music. Jeff's a hell of a writer and a songwriter. And when I, when I was getting them, I remember, I mean, I, I change a, a lot of, you know, like sometimes I'm like, Hey, I, I came up with this word or two because it just doesn't fall right. Or, or something like that. Oh, of course. Yeah. This. But, um, but he, uh, I mean, like Cosmic Ball and Sheen, I mean, the first, you know, my, my city was gritty. Well, you know, or my city was pretty when it was gritty, you know, yeah. and that's, that's them talking about the nineties. And, uh, and then, yeah, in terms of uh, fitting into the film, um, it's, it's interesting because that, I mean, that was really kind of all, that was all Jared in terms of, I mean, I, I, we just wrote these songs. And then I remember him saying, we, we gave him the songs, we had 23 of them, we were really close to the end. And, and, and I was thinking like, I forgot what I was listening to. I was listening, I think I was listening to Blur like a uh, number one single or something. And I yeah. was like, you know, I need something that's just like, you know, <clears throat> that's got it. We have no song called Irrational Devotion. And that was the name of the, the, the album. original album. Right. Yeah. And the the only album. A, <laughs> and we also don't have a ballad. Mm. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, there's supposed to be some song where some gig where they're, they're not supposed to be, you know, exciting their manager. So maybe that's, where the ballad fits in. But I just gave these songs to Jared and Jared picked the, the seven of them and the way they fit in, into the film. It was, it was, it was a, the, only, the only thing I remember Jeff and I thinking at the time was, uh, damn, it's too bad we don't get to play and the pool is open because that was kind of like one of our favorite songs. <laughs> well, so, there's an irony to that because there is a scene early on in the film where Jeff's playing it acoustically and that's not in the script. Um, and that was like a really interesting filmmaking moment because the, the, the scene in the script was just, it, 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 there was no dialogue. There's nothing in it. It's just, you know, Bruce is playing guitar in his basement. 
Right. And that's the whole thing. Trying, trying to relearn the, 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 uh, the, the, the three chords. <laughs> right. Jared, you remember that, that, that day? And we were like trying to think of like what to do. And I said, like, why don't you play the pool is open? He'd never played it before. But it's, yeah. it really works because then it kind of like at the end that comes back in the credits. So if you're really paying attention, you hear those lyrics. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And now back to the program. Yeah, the first the first real song that he sits down when when he says, "Hey, I'm gonna go down to the basement. I hope it's okay, honey." And she goes, "Yeah." And he's trying to be quiet. And then at the end of the movie, the song is fully realized. That's very exactly. cool. Very <laughs> yeah. cool. All right, so here here is a bit of a tough question. I you know I got at least to throw a couple of these in there. Why Please. why do you guys think the world needs a rock and roll fantasy movie right now? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think, oh, I think, um, I mean, beyond the rock and roll, I think it needs just sort of a, um, the ability to allow people to be dreamers. You know, uh, I think to me, the, the film, while it's, it is about a rock and roll band and it's super rock and, you know, and, and, and rolling, <laughs> um, it, it's, I think it's a pretty universal story. Um, you know, I think it's about this 
guy who is not ready to let go of his dreams. And I think that there's a really great theme in there about getting older and being allowed to continue to follow your dreams. And whether that's rock and roll or anything else, um, you know, I think we get too often, we get told that, well, if you haven't made it by this certain age, if you haven't accomplished this, if you haven't accomplished that by whatever, and it's, whether it's creative, whether it's even in business and work, you know, if you're still, I mean, the Bruce, the character in, in the film is a paralegal. I mean, even on that end, if you haven't leveled up. Yeah, you're not, you're not even a lawyer. You're a right. paralegal. <laughs> so like it, it's, I think it's, I think it's important, especially today in, in the way that art and entertainment has, is changing so much in this digital landscape. I think that a more than ever, it's okay to keep pursuing your dreams. I think it's okay to not be concerned with how old you are or the clock ticking or anything like that. Um, but I think it's, it's important that people understand that, you know, there's, it's okay to keep dreaming. Like, you, you know, you, you have carte blanche, go for it. You only get one shot. Um, and I think this film is about a, a guy, a group of guys who get together because they, it's, I feel like to me, this is not really about a second shot. It's about continuing that first shot. Mm. Yeah. I That's mean, a good it, way to put it. To me, it's, it's always, it's, it's always appealed to me uh, because of the things that Jared said. I mean, it's, it's about friendship. It's about uh, uh, following your dreams, taking chances. It's uh, somewhat about redemption. Uh, but uh, it, it's, for me, it's, I've always been, I come from, from uh, parents who are artists and it was never a, uh, I, there was never a thought that I was going to do anything else, even though, you know, there was no money there. I, mm -hmm. you know, they, they were struggling and so forth. But uh, uh, so when I read the script and I was like, oh, this is, this is about my life. And what I'm hoping for people to see when they see that is that they can identify with that. And they could, you know, and whether they go home and they pick up a guitar or they pick up a pencil or they decide to make their own independent film. You know, if we can, or, or, or independent them, podcast network, uh, yeah. or, or your, there your you have it. <laughs> podcast, you know, then I feel like we've, we've, we've done our job. So, so I think the world always could use a, uh, a, a film that's about, uh, these, these, these sort of themes, which, which, you know, maybe they're in so many other, you know, it, it's not necessarily a new thing. We haven't, you know, this is the first movie about, four guys getting the band back together. Right. But, but I think we've, 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 we've created, we've created a film that's, that's different than, than all those previous ones. And it's also, uh, yeah, we hope people during this time too, during this pandemic, you know, I, 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 I refer to the film as a feel good movie. I mean, you, it is leave, you've leave feeling like there's hope and they, they don't, they don't get the glossy. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, easy on the ending there. No, I'll just saying this is a, it's, it's a film about hope. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And yeah. So it's a, it's a feel good movie and we could use that during these times. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's aspirational, uh, you know, certainly for, uh, you know, folks of a certain age, uh, there's a bit of nostalgia to it. Um, but I think the thing that I took away from it more than anything else is that there is a level of the street authenticity that pours out uh, with every frame. And it's obvious because the, the three you know, people uh, that, that put this together, uh, yourselves and, and Jeff, uh, are all musicians. You, you actually lived that life. Uh, you understand it. You've been on stage. You've been in recording studios. Uh, and you understand. Well, interestingly, enough, Jeff ha interestingly enough, Jeff hadn't. But uh, I, I, I was even kind of floored at, at, at how in tune and how in sync he yeah. was. I mean, he yeah. was in a studio with a faux band called The Incoherence many, many years ago. And that's what really, uh, you know, that, that was the first thing that this yeah. movie uh, came out of. Some, he got him and some friends got together and they said that it was pretty horrible. And they recorded in, in Chicago. But uh, he's just a really astute music listener and, and, and fan of, 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 the scene and mm -hmm. and and so it's it's very clever i mean i the thing that's really um that i was always worried about was are my musician friends you know are gonna like it right. are these guys who are you who are you know and they have unanimously they were like you got the details right man yeah well, yeah, you, you got the details right. Yeah, and and I think that's the key is that uh, it just comes across as authentic for us that uh, that play music and you know especially uh, and not to give uh, too much of the movie away. Uh, we'll we'll try our best not uh, because it it is an enjoy enjoyable and it is a, while there are a few um, uh, expected tropes like you know the drummer is stuck in a wedding band comes to mind or uh, you know um, he, uh, he doesn't explode though. Yes. You know? Thank, yeah. Oh, although there is a connection to that whole thing here uh, with uh, Annette O'Toole now, isn't there? Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, there's also a few surprises. And, uh, you know, a big one is just how the film unfolds uh, near the end. There, 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 I had an expectation and I, I, I watch a fair amount of movies and uh, I, I can usually kind of guess where they're going to go. And this one surprised me. That's great. I mean, that was one of the things that, that drew me into the script was... Um, you know the way it, it ends uh it's hard to to talk about the ending of the film right, right, right. yeah without without spoiling but, but yeah it is not what you expect you know uh, especially yeah. since it starts with this dream sequence uh thing uh, uh which almost harkens back to uh, the uh the uh, uh wizard or box or glam 80s uh uh yeah. sort of sort of thing uh uh with with jeff there uh, dreaming uh, that, you know, he is, you know, one of those giant type of rock stars, uh, which he's I found. Wearing, he's wearing a wig, by yes, the way. He's that, a that, giant, that, a giant, yeah. Uh, that uh, I, twisted that sister is ish whisk wig. Right? I wore that, I wore that wig in a play in college. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Of, of, of an ill-advised rock and roll production of Sam Shepard's Tooth of Crime. Uh, this, well, it was, it was a great production. But it was set in the uh, the in the heavy metal world of the '80s, right. and I played Cheyenne, and the person who played the uh, the young rock star, I believe Crow, was uh, Vincent Lamberti, who plays our manager yeah. in uh, the Incoherence. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, since you brought him up, that I thought he was a great standout. Uh, that another one where it's like, where'd they find this guy? It just looks like they just pulled him off somebody's tour, and uh, here he is. You know, uh, he really looks the part. Yeah, yeah. He was he was amazing. He had done a reading for us, and you know, this we had a casting director, uh, Adrian Stern, who we had you know uh, got involved to to get us, you know, to try to get us some stars for mm. some of these meteor uh, roles that weren't uh, filled by the four band members but uh no one could really do it like him and he uh he's 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 an incredible actor he uh studied at, at royal academy of dramatic arts and he you know played in a band that opened up for aerosmith at one point early on and and uh we we gave him like two days notice and he nailed it he reminded me a little bit of uh, our recently uh, departed Jimmy Webb from uh, Trash and Vaudeville, if you guys remember him sure. in New York City. So kind of had that yeah. sort of, you know, low-key but energetic Vince, vibe. Vince, Vince did, does, uh, well, not during the pandemic, but Vince does all of his shopping, did all of his shopping at Trash and Vaudeville. Oh, uh, good, yeah. That's a good place to go. Yeah, whenever I'm in New York, I make sure I stop the there. The film are from Trash and Vaudeville. Yours? Yeah. Fact, yeah. Sold to me by Jimmy. Oh, that's then R.I.P. Jim, Jimmy Webb there. Uh, he, he does, he does in, a, in a slight way make an appearance uh, in the film. You know, you guys also got uh, Annette uh, uh, O'Toole to uh, play a part in the role, which uh, I didn't even get the first time. I didn't recognize her. Uh, and, uh, you know, she plays uh, Mrs. Graham, uh, the owner of the uh, rehearsal hall that uh, you guys uh, come out. So, uh, and she has some of the, the, the great funny lines uh, in the film. So how was it working with her, who, before you answer, is the wife of Michael McKean, who we all know uh, is uh, Derek St. Uh, Hubbins from uh, Spinal Tap. Yeah. Well, it was funny when she came on set. I remember what the, we only had her on set for, it was one day, right? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was just one day. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I remember like me and, and John Hudak Jr., the cinematographer, we were both, we heard she had come and we were working, you know, diligently to get the set set up. And we were like, let's go meet Annette and ran out. Cause I mean, you got to understand the, the size and scope of this film. Almost every actor in it, actually every actor in it that I didn't know personally, I met the day we were going to shoot with them. Right. So, um, you know, a few of the actors I had the opportunity of speaking with, like on the phone beforehand, just to go over, you know, as much as I could, the parts and stuff. Annette wasn't one of those people. I met her day of, um, and I was so excited to go meet her because I was like, wow. She's the first person in this movie, in my first feature film, that I, I know, like I've seen before, that I'm excited, like I'm fanboying right now, you know, as a right. big fan and all that. So, well, it was super exciting to meet her, but then to be able to, um, you know, discuss with her the role and give her the opportunity to, you know, you know let, it, let it go where she wanted to take it and, and whatnot and, and develop this character that's really only in a handful of scenes when we first hit, you know, hit record set action on her first take, it was just so funny. She went in directions that we were not expecting. Um, and uh, and, her and Vince had great chemistry. It was hilarious. It yeah. was hilarious. And it was like, I think that's 
you know, to her credit and to the credit of, of some of the other actors that have these like smaller supporting roles that, that pop up in the film, they bring so much character to mm -hmm. it and really round out um, not just the cast, but like the tone of the film. Um, they're able to give us moments of levity and, and real, um, you know, true comedy in, within this world because, you know, our characters are going through a lot of stuff. So these other characters have the opportunity to, you know, again, give us like that comic relief and man, she, she nailed it. She just nailed the funny. Um, yeah. And she was recognized. She and Vince, if we're going to go back uh, and talk about it, his performance too, is one of those characters that was able to bring so much to the role um, they were both honored with special acting awards at one of the festivals we played at last summer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at a you know, festival. So it's, it, they are being recognized, which is really great. And as a director, like the biggest compliment I can get is to, you know, recognize a performance from, from one of the actors. So uh, all around just an awesome experience. Yeah. Another, another uh, actress that kind of uh, has a rock and roll past as well uh, is Margaret Ann Florence, who's in uh, CMT's uh, one season of, uh, of uh, Sun, uh, Sun Records, which she plays Marion Kiesker, really, really important figure in rock and roll history. No, she, she's great. Actually, all the, her, Annette, uh, Amy Carlson and Kate, they all have these kind of rock and roll connections that, mm -hmm. that, I don't, we weren't really thinking about, perhaps our casting director was thinking about prior to, but of course, as we, when we knew, we knew that Annette was married to Michael, but, and, and we knew that uh, uh, Kate Arrington was married to uh, Michael Shannon, who, who plays, plays in bands. And uh, Amy Carlson played in bands in the 90s. And her husband is the lead, uh, was a record label, uh, Les Savi Fav. Uh, is the name is her husband's band and and she and I met in the 90s at, at, at this place brownies but I could barely remember <laughs> but wow. uh, and then uh, and then Margaret Ann adds this this wonderful kind of like nerdy rock journalist uh, thing you know she dresses like Joan Jett and she's she's just she's just great you know yeah, still into the music uh, and uh, you know and, and she does she plays an important role in society nowadays where you have these influencers let's call her that she's an influencer uh, and uh, you know uh, they are the ones that are you know reminding people where the good music is these days because there's just so much of it it's so unfiltered uh, it's it's a sea of mostly mediocrity, and it's really hard to to stand out. And uh, you know that's part of what we're trying to to do around here with uh, with our entire network is to provide some level of quali qualified expertise to say, yeah, here's some stuff to listen to. Here's some stuff to listen to. Uh, you know, because a, a lot of those um, gatekeepers, if you will, uh, maybe all of them needed to go away. But at the same time. You know, it, it. You know, we 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 need some level of expertise in this world, and I think we're finding out about that right now in the middle of this pandemic, uh, how important that is. So, uh, you know, we we can't just all make up our own facts and our own uh, and and treat our opinions as equal to one another. So it's nice having you know somebody out there in that role uh, who is actually digging deep 
every night as she, I think she says in the film, you know, I, I think this is the, is it the 60th night in a row Third. that she's been, you, yeah, you, you, you've right. read the script a million say, times. I, I saw the movie that's one and a half insane. times. I, I, yeah. I think you got pretty close. I think I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then, you know, and that, that plays into, I, I, I do want to say that, uh, you know, the, um, uh, most of the power characters in the film are played by women. Yeah. Uh, and uh, probably the best example is Kate Arrington is Liz, who's very real, has her own three-dimensional life that's going on. And I, I want to give you guys kudos for that. Thank you. Nice. I, I think a lot of that, too, comes from Kate's performance. Um, because, I, I mean, truth be told, if you really break it down, um, there's... I guess a lot of let's let's call it breadcrumbs for that really thorough developed life, and I think her performance adds a lot of credence to um, what that character is going on as a sort of a, a, a supporting role to it. So you have to give her credit. And um, and wow, working with Kate Arrington on set was just um, uh, I learned a lot about directing from directing her acting to watch her performance develop take after take and how we built performances for some of these scenes was um, like, it, it was really like a, a, a privilege to get to, to work with someone on that level. And especially being as um, she's in so much of the film that I got to work with her and sort of understand that and develop along the way. Um, that was really a treat. Um, and, uh, and really to her credit, um, she brought so much to that character and so much life to it. Um, she really rounded that out and made it really three dimensional. And I think, um, relatable and sympathetic to uh, what she's going through in her life and all of that um, sort of supporting stuff. No, I, I agree. I, she she nails it, and I'm, I'm only in like one very brief scene with her. With her, right? right. Uh, you know, waiting for right before our pre our first gig, but uh, she was just wonderful. And uh, I mean, I remember like driving her home afterwards, you know, because I producers do just about everything mm. and uh and she's yeah she's just like a consummate professional and her her it, it's re it's really nice because you, you you know people see this film they go the incoherence and it's about 440 something guys and blah 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 but i'm glad that you mentioned i mean some of the strongest roles in the in this film are uh by women and yeah. female characters and you know and we passed the Bechdel test and uh um and uh and she she she's right at the top there so uh, we were it was a really you know I, I I I thank our casting director uh for um for putting us in touch with her yeah so she mostly works with uh with jeff uh uh in the film who, who right. you know who's the husband they're the husband and wife uh there that uh it's kind of the the central character so you know i i do have to ask uh you guys you know who who, who decided to make the writer the star the writer well, did well, actually, <laughs> that, that just never happens <laughs> well just to be to, to be fair like early on jeff was uh um he didn't think he was, he, I don't know whether you know this, Jared, or, but, or prior to, but he wasn't planning on playing the role. He was like, oh, we're all, when we get this made, if we get this made, um, Ethan Hawke can play my role, you know? And I actually said- Was that him, on the table? 
<laughs> yeah, Jared's like, wait a minute. Never, <laughs> who cut Ethan Hawk? <laughs> never even addressed. Never even never even looked in. I mean, I, I think I was just like, dude, you gotta do it, man. This is this is this is you know, because he was mostly doing voiceovers at the time and 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 stage and everything. And then since since this, he's he's done a, a hell of a lot of TV and film, but uh um I think once, you know, after hearing that and everything, he was like, yeah, you're right. I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to mm-hmm. do this. And, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot to write a film, uh, make turkey chili for cast members and also, uh, um, and be the lead. I mean, and yeah. to his credit also, not, not just being the lead in a film. It's one thing to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to act in the film, but it's a music film where he's got to be the lead singer of a band that's yeah, good enough that's, that's you have not... almost popped and now they think that they're gonna you know they're gonna pop again and to be able to sing and i'll be honest i mean we were we were maybe halfway through filming before we had any real recorded song i had no idea if he could sing i didn't know what his voice sounded like you know um and, and <laughs> that was a big chance scene. It, it was stressful, man. I, I knew his voice was good, but I tell you, it was stressful. First of all, I mean, we recorded at the studio uh, Magic Door out in, uh, in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, with this one, the wonderful Ray Ketchum. And we, we got to have, and my friends, uh, uh, Kevin March from Guided by Voices, played drums, plays drums on it. And uh, um, Sean Eden from the band Luna plays guitar. But I remember they were when I contacted Ray and I'm like, we need to book time. He was like, Oh, we're booked, man. We're booked right up until so it was like a last minute thing before we could actually get Jared, the actual songs that, I mean, we had the demos, but then the, everything was happening so fast that like, we never, like it would have been great for like the four of us to get together in a, in a rehearsal studio and at least work out our stage dynamics. But you know, Walter Hoffman, our bass player, and, and, and Casey Clark, our drummer, they're both pro actors, and everyone kind of, it, it works. I mean, I spent a lot of time working with uh, uh, Walter on uh, the bass lines, which I, I, I wrote and play, because he was like, I can't play these bass lines, I can't play, and, but, and no one bothered to ask Casey, Casey, by the way, whether he actually played drums. Right. <laughs> had he not played drums and it was like you know cropped up to here <laughs> yeah it would have been a to... different movie right. and then jeff jeff was like you know he insists i was like saying why don't you just be a lead singer because he didn't play guitar but he grew up playing piano and so i just basically like whittled the down to like basic strum chords that could make it look like he was doing it yeah, show him simple bar chords and let him go. And from I there. basically left left no time for myself to remind myself how to play the, the the lead guitar parts, but it all works. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a uh, you know uh, uh, Jeff uh, does not exactly look like uh, the proverbial front man of uh, uh, indie pop band, but that actually kind of works in the favor because you know he looks more like every dad you know, uh, sort of thing. Stephen Malkmus, you know, from Pavement, never really looked like, didn't look like the lead singer of a band. And so I think that was the, you know, that was the wonderful thing about indie rock is that you could have just like, you know, a bunch of misfits 
who don't look like rock stars, but yeah, black Black Francis comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, not yeah. everyone's gonna look like Kurt Kurt Cobain or or Eddie Vedder. Right, know? right. Yeah, the ex the expectation, but but yeah, you know, yeah. It's a high bar, and uh, and he pulled it off, uh, which is uh, you know to his credit as an actor, uh, definitely. Uh, and also, I, I really want to give credit to to uh, Jared uh, uh, as a for being uh, an, a really good actor's director, uh, which is uh, something that's, mm. it's, you, you, you really can't take for granted. I mean, I've worked with some directors that just are not there for you. And you yeah. just- and, You have to figure it out yourself. You got to figure everything out yourself. Yeah. But he, he had ideas every day and he, you know, <laughs> whether telling Vince to say chutzpah with a little bit more chutzpah <laughs> or, you know, or, or just like, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Alex, we need you to stop dressing the set and act, you yeah. know. So yeah. uh, it, that's and I, I, I think when I mentioned that to, to, to you, Jared, you, you were like you that was a that was a nice compliment that you. You no, know. it was. Um, we were all together in uh, in Asbury Park, New Jersey, for uh, the Garden State Film Festival. And, Home of the uh, Bruce. That's right. Uh, and uh, I remember we were we were sitting at that diner, like right across from the convention hall, next to the Stone Pony. And uh, and you were telling me that that's what a lot of the actors were saying. And I was definitely, um, I, I I I mean, you, I hoped I was doing a good job by the actors. Um, I mean, most of my experience being it from the comics or, you know, cool little action shorts and, and stuff like that. Um, I think I had always thought that of myself as a director, that I was a more visual director, less than an actor's director. And I guess, um, so, so hearing that, that you felt that way and that other people felt that way was a huge compliment. Um, cause you know, obviously I was trying. <laughs> so, um, so it's cool that, 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 uh, that that's the way people felt. Because, um, you know, I think as a director, um, you get less of an opportunity, I think, to socialize and really talk and meet people so much while you're working. You know, I'm, you know yeah, you're, you're 365, uh, 24 seven. Uh, yeah, that's the director's job. There's no time off for you, everything. Yeah, I mean, even you. at lunch. Whereas was, the actors, at least they, they get to go and sit back out. waiting for their shots, right? Yeah, pretty much. So, um, so I didn't get as much of an interaction and in my head, I'm always like, well, I'm sure everybody on this set hates me. I don't care. I got to finish <laughs> So to hear that, A, it sounds like people didn't hate me so much and, and B, <laughs> the actors actually got a kick out of, out of working and, and that, that, that was a, one of the best compliments I, I could get. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the film is, is what we'd call a dramedy, uh, which is a really high bar to try to achieve. And I think, Jared, you said this is your first full feature. Uh, yeah. And Alex, I think this is also your first uh, written full feature, right? Uh, oh, oh, I didn't write it, but uh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. You did the, the music. Oh, 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 in terms of the music for it? Yeah. Or? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, well, but I mean, also, first producer. Music. Yeah. I actually, uh, yeah, first first feature as a producer, um, uh, yeah. Uh, this is the, um, I think I was the only one who who had actually like acted in or like been on feature sets of 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 all of us, and uh, so I was the first guy saying this is crazy what we're trying to do in this amount of time, absolutely insane. But they were like, no, 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 we we can do it. We're gonna do it guerrilla style. 
I'm so happy that they didn't listen to me at the time because uh, you know we might not be here. Yeah. But uh, we we broke down a 22-day shoot into four different segments so that we could regroup and figure out exactly what we did wrong, what we needed, and everything. And that's not the most ideal way to shoot because, uh, um, uh, first of all, we have to keep our hair the same somehow. And second of all, uh, but but it all worked. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like, you know, we made it. Yeah, the first, first feature produced, absolutely. But choosing a dramedy to do that with uh, seems, um, uh, you know, a, a pretty high bar. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly challenges to it. Um, but I mean, you know, the the tone of the film, I mean, a lot of that comes from, you know, the words on the page, right? Mm-hmm. So, so long as, I mean, my mantra is always, you got to be a slave to the story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it was important to... Uh, you know, make sure that that's the script is polished up and refined to reflect those moments of drama and those moments of comedy. Um, but once that script is locked in and we say, okay, this is what it is. I mean, regard that's, that's aside from noticing anything that might need to be changed during production. But once you're locked in there, if you're a slave to that story, you get on set, all you have to do is bring those words and those pages to life. So mm-hmm. if there's drama, if there's comedy, you know, um, it's on making sure that you, you keep um, sort of a homogeny to, to what you're doing and to the performances and to the story as, as a whole. And then as far as I'm concerned, whether it's pure comedy, pure drama, a mix of both, action sequence, sci-fi, whatever it is it is, your, your goal is to make sure that a play happens in front of the camera and that the camera captures it. Right, right, right. And there were some happy accidents that happened too, but basically, I mean, most of the things that we, you know, almost, you know, 90 five percent of it was uh you know us being slaves to the script i mean because the script was so good and uh yeah i mean there i remember there was a time when we're, you know we're meeting uh the jewels for the first time the player character that vince plays and mm-hmm. uh, we're out on uh, out in the, and we don't have much time and jeff gave me this like list of like band names to say for the 20 something bands that i've been in since he broke us up and i was like Jeff, I, I can't remember these, uh, you know, I, can I just, he's like, just say anything as long as you end up on chalkboard nails, you know, and, uh, and, then, <laughs> and then Casey threw in some very funny asides that made it into the movie and, or Johnny Gaffney, who plays uh, uh, the, one of the, the, the two office tools. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, if you have a good script, to begin with, then hopefully it all falls into place. It does all start with the script, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we tried it the other way around, but it just didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody's successfully done that. Uh, It's got to start with the words on the page. Mumblecore, Uh, right? Mumblecore, right. right. Which, by the way, my friend uh, uh, Eric Masanaga from the band Dam Builders, he he coined that phrase, that word, mumble. Oh, word. really? <laughs> yeah. Or how about shoegaze? How about shoegaze? That's the, that's the other the genre that I always go, how did they come up with that? <laughs> yeah. Or emo core. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's all kinds, all kinds. Um, uh, you guys also had an interesting walk on uh, getting uh, Richard Barron from uh, Spin Doctors uh, in there. Uh, Chris that, uh, that I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. How did that, that, uh, through, how did that come about? 
through one of Jeff's friends, uh, uh, Charles, uh, who, who uh, was working with us early on in the film. And he uh, um, uh, kept pushing it in, pushing it in. And, and I, I had a, it was interesting because I, I, I mean, truth be told, I uh, was supposed to audition for the Spin Doctors in uh, like 1990. And really? it, there was an ad, there was an ad in, uh, um, the Village Voice, the Spin Doctors were looking for bass players. And uh, a, another guy I know was auditioning for them. And I remember going to this place, Nightingales, and they were there and there were a couple other bass players standing off the side. And I was supposed to, it was supposed to be my turn. And I just didn't like the music. So I, uh, I at the time, so I, I, I decided um, to, to leave. And uh, uh, and then I, I basically, you know, told that story to Jeff and to Charles and, and to Jared and and they kind of wove that into this sort of thing where maybe there's some sort of past antagonism by these guys like you should have played with us back then. And so it, it's it's a really nice oh. little cameo. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that little that bit really started as a, as a tr there's a truthism to it. I, yeah, there's a, a definitely, yeah. That, that was one of the few pieces of Alex's musical history that I had known of, and I think I knew of even years before getting involved with, uh, with the incoherence. So when the opportunity for Chris to actually be in the film happened, I know Alex had mixed emotions about it. And I was like, no, 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 this is so meta, we have to do this. Yeah. Like this brings this whole thing into real life, we have to do it. And, and Chris, we only had him on set for like an, an hour or two. Um, but man, he was awesome. He was hilarious. He was so, awesome. Uh, it totally, it was like, you know, just wanted to say, you know, this isn't like, you know, he, he yeah, he was, he was gung-ho, gung-ho from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. And it is, the, the entire production, you, you know, again, uh, when you see some of these indie films, you, you know, you could see the love just all over it. Uh, and, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the fact that, you know, it's more of a, it's kind of like a startup, you know, everybody's wearing a bunch of different hats. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, there's always a job that needs to be done. And somebody's usually, I'm on it, because uh, it's a very DIY uh, ethic, which fits uh, with the, uh, the indie, uh, you know, rock scene as well, uh, uh, that fits oh. in there, to the point where uh, I think uh, Jeff's uh, kids in the film are Jeff's kids. Jeff's real kids. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. It's it's definitely a family affair. Uh, and they're great. I mean, that, that his, his daughter's face, you know, when they're when they're like smooching up, the, you know. And, I knew I knew that you, that's where you're gonna go. The, yeah. The, the breakfast scene. At each right. other, yeah. <laughs> that's that's comic gold. You can't make that up. Yeah. 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 So what uh, uh, individually? What or maybe they're the same. What 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 was your favorite scenes to film? Ooh. Oh man, how much time do I have? We gotta, I gotta think about that one. We're in um, a pandemic. You have all the time in the world. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think the scenes that were the most fun to film aren't necessarily my favorite scenes in the film. Mm. Um, you know, one of my yeah. favorite scenes in the film is the simple scene of uh, of Bruce and, and Liz in the bathroom after their first show. Um, and they're, you know, um, after he's it, played the wrong song. Right. The, the the show didn't go all that great, and. Um, you know, Bruce is, is down on himself. And, and by the way, Alex, he played the wrong song, just so you know. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. I know don't this go, gig, so. Don't give it away. <laughs> but, um, but he was, uh, you know, he's, he's complaining. He said, like, how embarrassed were you? And she gives this great sort of pep talk, which ultimately I think is the theme of the film, and I'm not going to ruin that at the moment. But you're talking about me and, and John, uh, our cinematographer, standing in the shower uncomfortably, trying to get the right angle to get these shots in this teeny tiny little bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I always get afraid of scenes like that because those are the scenes in films, especially in indie films, where you go, this isn't going to look great. You don't have the type of set where you can take out a wall and really get the shots that you want. Um, you're, you're dealing with really being uncomfortable, like hanging off of, you know, like the shower curtain and, and trying to get the, the right angles and, oh, how's this going to cut together? And it turned out to be, I think, I think one of my favorite scenes. I think it just works so well from start to finish. And it also looks beautiful. It's, it's one of those scenes that I'm, I'm super proud to showcase. And considering how minimally we shot it and put it together, um, I think there's, I think maybe that's what also plays into it is, no, you don't understand. There is no production happening right now. And this is the level of the scene that we got. And a lot of that is the acting, the performing, the writing. Like to yeah. me, that's just one of those moments. And to John's credit, how we were able to take such limited, uh, minimal production and make it something beautiful. And to me, that's, that's what filmmaking is, is taking all these little elements, they all come together to be a scene that could have been a simple throwaway, nothing. And I think is actually a really pivotal moment. I, I totally agree. That's, that's a great scene. I mean, it just when Liz, Liz just like lays it on a line and, and Jeff's look at him like, Okay, and I think actually we went back. I think to get the spit shot into in the in the, uh, in the in the sink because we didn't have that. We went and shot it in my bathroom. Um, a, a scene that comes to mind, not necessarily my favorite scene in the film, but I think my one of my favorite scenes to shoot is uh, the the when uh, Jeff and I get together for the first time uh, to you know. After we've, you know, decided we're going to be, we're gonna, we're gonna try this, you know, we're, for real. Uh, after the the Sunday, uh, after the phone call, and uh, yeah, so when you say go, when you say, okay, let's try this. Yeah, so we go. Well, the scene I'm talking about is when we is is when uh, this this punk rock band sixty four. Oh, band, that's who, right. Who, who I found, but it was just like that's that was when uh, I felt like we're we're making a movie here um, because it, it was just was that, like, was that you know, one of the earlier scenes that you guys filmed? Well, it was, I think it was the first live music scene that we mm. did. Was it? Mm. And it was, uh, and I was like, and it worked. I mean, it was just like, it was the first time someone, you know, them playing to recording. We had some extras, uh, there's a fun little banner between Jeff and I. And I think at the last moment I was like, you know, I don't know why, why are you saying gener generation X? It should be bad brains, and that he's like, and, and and then and then uh, and then. But I, I love the fact that he was like saying, "No, he's talking about Generation X." The the you know the, 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 yeah so, yeah. But there's that nice little they're they're kind <laughs> of. If I'm like, not mistaken, that that happened for real. That that wasn't totally scripted because that was I, real. I remember, no, that was real. Yeah, we were we were in um the front of the bar. And we were where we were staging and we were going through that scene. And I remember you guys having the conversation and I, and I remember laughing too, that no, 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 the band. And it was just, 
okay, well, that's got to go in the script. Now we're now we're doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember saying. I was. I, I thought. You know, I was thinking that he was gonna correct it, and then I think we had the same idea at the same time. It's like that's even more funny. Yeah. You know that there's a slip on words. He's not talking about Billy Idol's band. He's talking about you know the age. But yeah. that was that. But that that scene uh, just in terms of. You know, I mean, it was super early in the morning and we had an issue with a sound person. Maybe it wasn't that day, but it was just Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, but it, it just uh, it went as soon as the band played, I was like, yeah, man, we, 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 we did it. Mm -hmm. I think um, mm -hmm. to add to that, there was, um, I do remember feeling really excited when we were shooting that scene because there was, there was something to it filmically um, there was a lot of elements. It was the first real scene where we had, there was a band performing. So we had that element. We had the crowd to deal with and we had a dialogue scene happening within all of these things coming together. Complex. And we also yeah. had a limited amount of extras. So in flipping the scene and in getting all the angles to make sure that it looked like they were in a full crowd and with the, you know, the guy running past and Jeff jumping into the mosh pit and all these things, like there's a lot of elements to that. And we did our best to film it very simply. There's not a lot of shots to that scene, even though there's a lot of elements. And in watching it as we were building the scene and getting from shot to shot to shot, we could see it really coming together and see that we've created something beyond what was in the room. And that's always, I think, a special moment when you can create something that's bigger than what's actually standing in the room. So yeah, that's yeah. a great scene to shoot, yeah. Well, I'm surprised, uh, Jared, that you didn't mention the sex in high def songs as your favorite scene since you play the lead singer in that. Uh, that you know, video. to be honest, as much fun. And I, I have to admit, I, um, I've only acted in a handful, of, a couple of really small things. So this is the most acting I've ever done. And I loved it. Loved it. Uh, like to the point where I wish I had more time. Oh, by, by the way, congratulations on the governor's ball. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, bastard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hey, spoiler alert, guys, okay? Spoiler alert. Hey, there's no spoiler there. Nobody knows hey, what we're talking yeah. about yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This might, that part might not make the show. <laughs> but, um, but I will say, as from the directing standpoint, I hated those scenes. In fact, the first scene that I was supposed to do dialogue in, I, um, I ended up giving that scene to, to Mars, who plays the keyboards in the band. That scene ended up getting cut because um, not not anything with her. It just wasn't a good scene. It just didn't didn't wasn't necessary. Didn't work. Mm. Um, but I remember we were in a rush. We're trying to get it, and I was like, I can't do my fast. All right, let's get this scene directing when I'm the one who's got all the words in this scene, and I'm not doing a good job. It just I was just not hitting it at all. So it's like every take I was like, Mars, say that, say that, say that. Until finally, I think the last take, I went, huh. and that's like the 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 like extent of my performance in it. And I remember actually after that first, um, that first day that I had to be on camera thinking, okay, you wanted this. Now you got to bring it the next time we do this. Cause I can't have that again. We need this character in the film. I have to do it. And so it really took a lot for me to um, really think about acting. And I think maybe that a lot of it came from how I was working with all the, the actors on set. And I think that's always been um, one of my perspectives as a director is you have to pay attention. Like acting can help your directing and directing can help your acting. So mm -hmm. it took a lot to sit down and really, all right, what have I learned so far? How can I put this all together to 
be able to perform the way I need to perform and say mm-hmm. these lines believably and at the level that everybody else is doing it because they're doing it at a pretty good level and I got to match them. So, um, so truth be told, not my favorite scenes. Um, but I have to say that, he wanted it. You know, <laughs> he did want it. It was uh, just, just, uh, uh, just, a, just a quick little, I'm sorry, I, I cut in. I didn't mean to, did you no. have, oh, just that, that originally wasn't going to be Jared and his brother um, uh, playing in that scene. And, and I remember, you know, cause I was looking for bands and to play and, you know, yeah. and I found Fiona Silver and I found 6040 and I was trying to think of this band you know who's going to be this the the upstart band that we yeah. that we hate and you know I threw I sent a couple to to Jared and and then I remember it was I think it was Jeff who told me that it was going to be this and I remember at first I was like no and then I was like wait a second that's 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 kind of that's really kind of clever it's really funny that you know that it ends up being them that that it is them. I think the one thing I said was they can only play one song, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I thought, I mean, one song as a band, which I think is funny, because then it sets up Tyler for a really funny line. Yeah. It was also, I mean, um, to be able to, uh, you know, as, as the band, to be able to A, perform on stage and, and do whatever, and also to be able to write those songs and record them, um, you know, Jordan, who plays the bass player, is my brother, is my producer partner, is also the producer on the film. Um, so for us to be sitting here recording this song in my office here, um, and then to be able to get on stage and perform, and he and I played in bands for years together on stage, there was something so, um, I don't know, all-encompassing about being able to, like, all right, I'm directing, producing, I'm going to edit this film, and now I also made music for it, and we get to perform in it, and we get to play the music in it, um, I like it hit like every check mark that I could have hoped for is like wow I accomplished everything I ever wanted to do in this one <laughs> in this one go at it so I mean it's going to be really hard to pop that in whatever my next feature is going to be because I don't know I'm not going to be the band in it also yeah so it's, it, it, I felt it, the I, same way I felt the yeah. same way just being able to you know utilize so many skills that, that you guys have yeah well it, it just felt great to be able to you know pile it on to one you know it's like you know movie about rock and roll that we get to act in and get to make ourselves you know great jack yeah. jack from jack. a from a bunch of rock and rollers so that's yeah. so we're, we're getting close to the end here what you know what is it about rock and roll that still sticks around in the culture uh, even though uh, it has been around for almost 70 years now well alex do you want to uh, uh, what is it about? Well, for, for me, it's just very innate. For me, it's just, I mean, my mom used to, uh, she's no longer with us, but uh, she, you know, used to tell us about going to see Fats Domino and, and loving Elvis and, 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 and everything. And then she was uh, uh, flirted with Bob Dylan when he was young in New York City. And she was a, you know, a beatnik on the scene. And uh, um, for me, it's just, and I've been playing in bands since uh, I was uh, 12, I think was the first band. I played out of a garage. Uh, We were called Reverb. And uh, we had one song uh, called High Static. 
And I'm still friends with all those guys. I mean, my, my, my buddies from high school that I played in bands with are still some of my best friends. And, and, and I think that, uh, um, I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but I, I just, I, I, just a quick tangent. This felt like, it felt like Jared and Jordan and Jeff and I were a band. And I mean, we fought like, you know, we fought like we were in a band. We collaborated like we were in a band. Jeff and I shared a friggin' mic, you know. But I think that, uh, you know, I mean, it's it, one of the lines in, in the uh, film is rock and roll is not the cultural force that it, that it used to be. And yes, that's true. I mean, you know, I think that the last big wave in New York was like the Yeah, Yeah, Yes and the Strokes and, and these bands were on, you know, the cover of Time Out and this, that and the other thing. And, uh, um, you know, my dad was an artist and he was, you know, used to draw rock and rollers for Rolling Stone all the time and stuff. But uh, I, it's not as... It's it's more like I mean it's branched out. I mean we mm -hmm. have rap, you know, pop music, but a lot a lot of that came out of you know one thing, and and I think that it's something that everyone enjoys and everyone kind of can can whether we disagree on our specific tastes, whether Jared's a Pearl Jam guy and I'm a Nirvana guy or or whatnot. I think that uh, rock and roll means something to everyone, uh, whether, I mean, Je Jeff and I did a little uh, 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 live stream a few weeks ago, and, and one of the questions asked was like, who's your favorite band of all, of all time? And, and I said, Rolling Stones, and Jeff said, uh, um, uh, Jeff said Radiohead, and I said, oh, I love Radiohead. So I, I just think that it's, uh, rock and roll is, uh, it's, uh, whether it's, it's, it's as big or as as important or whatever or whether it's it's actually rock and roll it's here to stay mm -hmm. and uh um, i'm happy to be able to have uh played a part in making the the first great new york rock and roll comedy feature film uh because if you think about it i don't think there has been one prior to the incoherence now, we actually don't see a lot of rock and roll uh, in, in narratives. So we saw a little bit of it early on. Uh, and not New York rock and roll. And no, no. New York no. rock and roll you see in a lot of docs. Yeah. Patty Smith, oh, yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah, but but fictional. Uh, it just does, it hasn't translated very well. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the biggest uh, experiment failure I think we'd all agree is vinyl that Martin Scorsese did. You know, which you know cost a hundred million dollars and fell flat on its face. Um, and uh, in a in a weird sort of way, uh, you know, not to dissect uh, that project, uh, but you know, it just it it, it didn't translate over. Um, but you know. I think this does, and, and to me, the big reason is because you guys are so, it's in your DNA. It's, it's, there's no airs being put on here. This is it's pretty close to who you guys are. Yeah, I think that's true. I think absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's why I think we were all drawn to this project. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were so many moments in the script that, um, even being at the time that I read it younger, not so much anymore, um, that, that was just too relatable. 
they were just, um, you know, from the bands that I played in, in Jersey and New York and stuff. Um, I mean, obviously we've heard a lot about, you know, Alex's experiences with that. Um, it was just too relatable and it was too real. And it's also, um, it's a testament to the writing. It's also a testament to the irony of the writing that Jeff didn't experience these things. Yes. Uh, and so, um, you know, to have an opportunity to take a, a, a portion of our lives that was so important um, to us and to be able to create narrative around that and create a story and create something that, you know, is, is true and meaningful. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, it speaks a lot to, to what we created. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to hear when that realism comes across and that, that truism comes across because that's something that we fought really hard for. Uh, mm. to make sure that, you know, it was true to the music, true to the era, true to the city, true to Jersey too. I'm glad that-, that uh, Yeah, Jersey gets a nod. In yeah, there. that was that was very, very important. I mean, I, I was, I, I think I was, I was a stickler at times when I, perhaps I didn't need to be, but I just wanted it to be very, you know, true to, you know, what happened in the 90s, true to what these guys would be like now, true to the world around it. And again, you know, to, to hear musician friends uh, who, who, who stopped playing bands and ones who, who are still doing it uh, say that it was real, that it really touched them and, and that uh, they, we got all the details right. Just uh, and for me, that's the, was the best compliment that we could get. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you guys uh, uh, put the film out uh, in film festivals last year, right? Uh, and it glad well, uh, we didn't now, do it this year, man. There aren't there aren't there are no any film festivals. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, uh, at least you got to experience that. But I think you had planned, uh, you know, a pretty significant premiere uh, here a couple of weeks ago, and of course that all got uh, shot to hell because of the pandemic. So you know, what's it like having to? Really I don't think we planned one, doing. but you know, maybe <laughs> we, we 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 would have done one had yeah. that you know there yeah. been that you know option. Yeah, we had a fun Zoom premiere though. That was yes, that was, that was actually kind of a fun night, but, oh, good. but yeah, a, little bit, a little bit different from the red carpet. But <laughs> it is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we were really fortunate um, to have uh, you know East Coast premieres and New York premieres and LA premieres and stuff like that at these different festivals. So mm -hmm. uh, it was just a, overall, it's been a really just cool rocking experience to be able to do this kind of thing and and put it out there now that the the film's out in the world and is being released and it's trending up itunes and all these things like it's it's really a surreal experience um you know because this as as we've mentioned this has been a labor of love for so many years you know it's been so yeah. long and, and decades yeah. you know i i mean this <laughs> this film has become a chapter of my life, probably bigger than any music or band that I've been in. Um, so uh, for it to finally be out there and then for the world to see it and stuff is, uh, you know, just a, a special moment. Um, and, you know, within the pandemic thing, like I said, I mean, there's such a, a great equalizing thing to every film being released the same way right now um, and being sort of viewed the same way. Um, you know, I, you could you could rent Doctor Doolittle or you can rent the Incoherence. So, um, you know you already know Doctor Doolittle. So, definitely uh, yeah. rent the Incoherence. I, I I know which one I would pick. Uh, I've read the reviews of Doctor Doolittle. Yeah. Uh, although interesting, you you bring that up because uh, I I was gonna say uh, Jared that uh, your uh, sex and high def character reminded me a little bit of Robert Downey Jr. in a John Hughes film. Awesome. 
<laughs> I mean, I'll take that. Again, I revealing that this was the first acting I've done in a feature film and I hated directing myself in it and I was having trouble to end up with Robert Downey Jr. And I'll take that. That is a compliment I'll take to the bank. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so what is next for you guys? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm trying to do my best to um, take advantage of this pandemic moment. Um, I know that uh, it is a crisis and, and not to put any pressure on people at home who are not trying to be creative and whatnot. It's totally acceptable. No pressure. But I'm trying to put a little pressure on myself to say, hey, listen, you get very few moments in life where um, a lot of the pressures of life and work and all these things just they're off the table. Um, so work. There's no there's no excuse at the moment to complain about ah I don't have time to write my next this that or the other so I'm doing my best to write um, I'm in the middle of a graphic novel a children's book and a handful of feature film scripts that I'm hoping one of them will strike something in me to be the next movie so we'll see Alex uh, well uh, same I you know the beginning of this pandemic I like so many others was felt like I was going stir crazy and I and I was probably watching a little bit too much television and uh, uh, though no one can watch enough movies no out there please um, but uh, I uh, started getting I, I knew that I was I did need to kind of take advantage of this time to try to be uh, creative and get through some of this stuff that I, I, you know, work on some of the stuff. I, I you know, I started writing um, music again. I'm just, just made a homemade video for this cover of uh, John Lennon's Give Me Some Truth that I'm, I'm gonna, um, you know, give to my friends on Facebook sometime uh, during the next week. And, uh, and uh, also, you know, updating websites. I, 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 I managed, uh, my father was an illustrator. I managed his website and I had been meaning to update it forever. Uh, I'm uh, doing a uh, um, uh, sort of personal documentary on him. Mm. Uh, and so I, I've been uh, uh, piecing together and did a, piecing together bits for, uh, to, to kind of push through a, uh, a nice little teaser to try to uh, raise some, raise some interest in that and uh um you know i for me the incoherence has been such a part of my life for so long yeah uh and i i don't it's be I, hard to I, give away well i like thinking of of the future of of the incoherence as well and uh oh oh is there a sequel in mind well i i think these guys these guys will all say hell no but uh um there is the, maybe not an indie sequel there's if, a thought, you know, if, if a studio comes on and loves the incoherence and wants to do the big budget sequel, hell's yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with him on that. I'm with him on that. But, but I also feel like uh, you, you had mentioned vinyl, and I do feel like there hasn't been a good 90s, uh, a, a good rock and roll TV show. And so uh, uh, Jeff and I, uh, uh, under the... Uh, um, uh, a, 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 a friend of mine suggested something that we thought would be an interesting twist in regards to turning this into a TV series. And uh, so, and it got Jeff and I interested and uh, we came up with an idea for uh, a pilot episode and Jeff wrote it and it's, it's, it's pretty damn good. So I, I think if I could try to uh, 
you know, uh, garner some interest in it, it being a TV show, I think uh, we'll all be working on some more incoherent stuff in the future. So, well, I certainly am interested to see where these characters go from here. Yeah, and it's it doesn't only just as a little hint, it doesn't only go forward, but it goes backwards. Right. Right. Not like you know, like I buried Paul, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like Revolution Number Nine, right? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, guys, uh, Alex, Emmanuel, Jared, Burrell, thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs today. This was I awesome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, st everyone stays uh, safe, sane, and healthy. And uh, uh, it was really a pleasure meeting you. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks. And make sure everybody goes and rents the incoherence. I took the time, drive up the line again. The face is clean and I popped the wine. The pain is made, all the bills are paid. Rock the dust off the old man's shade. The kids are gone, and I'm too. Hey, let's hear it for Alex and Jared of the film The Incoherence. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed talking rock and roll movies with both of you. Diggers, uh, do find a night uh, for you to have fun uh, with this film on uh, a family night. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Apple iTunes right now. Uh, check it out and then let us know what you think afterwards. We've added several film directors to our lists of guests recently. Uh, we just did the twofer uh, of East Bay Punk and Thrash Metal a few weeks ago. We have an upcoming interview with Daniel Rohr, director of the new band documentary, Once We're Brothers. Of course, we did our extra deep exploration of Long Strange Trip with director Amir Barlev. But this was the first fictional film about rock and roll that, uh, that I've had the chance to do. And I don't think it will be the last. Uh, you know, while I am fairly confident the great period of rock and roll compositions are behind us, um, I really believe we are in a golden age of rock and roll movies. And that is just so fucking awesome. It seems like everyone who was anyone is getting a new documentary or biopic. I just read this morning, Lemmy from Motorhead will be the subject of a well-deserved biopic. Aretha Franklin with Jennifer Hudson is on the way. Carol King's beautiful musical is being turned into a film. The first Bowie film, Stardust, uh, starring Johnny Flynn as the rock chameleon and fellow podcaster Mark Marin, uh, is uh, coming uh, very, very shortly, although I understand that they don't have permission to use the tunes. Uh, and there are just a ton in development. Why, you might ask? Well, Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, that's why. Uh, both were huge successes. Uh, with the Ready Freddy pick becoming the highest grossing musical biopic ever. So music on film is happening. On the documentary side, there are almost too many to name. Uh, obviously, the upcoming reworking of Let It Be, now called Get Back by Peter Jackson, is high on the list of must-see. 
uh, the new Laurel Canyon two-part documentary out now. Uh, and even a second film that was released last year, Echo in the Canyon. You know, obviously one is not enough for that fertile canyon, huh? How about one uh, about the Greenwich Village scene uh, or London uh, and San Francisco? Uh, I can see those uh, being done. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you could even do uh, uh, binge-watched series uh, of, of those with so many people coming in and out. Maybe even a long-form complete history of rock and roll told in context of the societal impacts of the times on that uh, one that digs deep like an archaeologist looking to tell the full tale of a lost civilization. Hmm. I wonder where one might find something like that to make into a documentary. I'm thinking we will get to see so much over the next few years. It's educational, nostalgic, and as soon as you drop the needle on those songs, emotional impact is guaranteed. All good stuff. Okay, next week we're going to have Daniel Rohrer in to discuss Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson, and the band. It's going to be tight, lots of fun. I guarantee it. We had a great time talking. Until next week, you all know what to do. Keep up the rockin'. With the sand into our Digs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.